And keep that passage open as we come to study today, uh, verses 18 to 22 in Matthew chapter 4. Our theme today is called by the king, called by the king. One call can change your life. One conversation can set your life on a totally different course from the way that you thought it was headed. Uh, sometimes it's a call you've been waiting for. Maybe you've gone for a job. You felt the interview went really well. You, you struck up a good rapport with those who were interviewing you. And actually, even at the end of the interview, they said, you can expect a call from us. And so you're waiting, and you're waiting, expecting this call. And eventually it comes, and, and you hear those words, I'm delighted to offer you the position. Other times the call is totally unexpected, as was my experience just over three years ago now. I think it was a Tuesday evening in November when the Reverend Jeffrey Allen informed me that Dremore was calling me to be their minister. One phone call and suddenly plans change, priorities change, life can change. We've been making our way through these first few chapters of Matthew's gospel, looking at the evidence that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the, the sent, chosen one of God, the great king who would establish God's kingdom on earth. Matthew has been showing us that as unlikely as it may seem at first, Jesus of Nazareth is indeed that long-promised Messiah. And having been baptized and set apart for his ministry, and then having battled Satan and his temptations in the wilderness, Jesus has now begun preaching. If you look at chapter 4, verse 17, it was, I think, maybe three weeks ago now that we looked at this passage. Uh, but chapter 4, 17, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus has come claiming to be a king who is bringing a kingdom, the kingdom of God, into the world. And of course, a kingdom needs citizens. It needs people who will be loyal subjects of that kingdom. Most of us in this country consider ourselves citizens of the United Kingdom. And there would be no point having a land empty with nobody in it and claiming it as a kingdom. You need to have people. And so what we see today is that King Jesus begins calling people into his kingdom. King Jesus is, of course, still calling people into his kingdom today. That's why I'm stood here preaching the same message he preached. King Jesus has commissioned preachers and he has called all his followers, in fact, in some capacity, to be making known that his kingdom is coming. To be making known the message of good news, of repentance of sin and forgiveness of sin. Jesus is still calling people and changing the lives of people today. And he calls men and women and boys and girls to follow him. And so we want to think about this call as we have it described for us in Matthew's gospel here today. First of all, uh, we see that this call, the call that Jesus gave to these first four disciples, it was a personal call. It's a personal call. If you look at verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. If you do remember, we saw a number of weeks ago that 
Jesus now is settled and living in his adopted hometown of Capernaum, which was on the northwest shore of the Lake of Galilee, sometimes called the Sea of Galilee, simply because it was such a huge body of water, but it was, uh, to be absolutely accurate, a lake. Uh, and across the, the, the northwestern shore of this lake is this whole community of little rural towns and villages and fishing towns and villages. Uh, and this was an area, as we thought about a few weeks ago, this, this region of Galilee, that really the Jewish elite or, or the, the more pious Jews in many, in many ways would have turned their noses up at the people of Galilee. And that was mainly because it wasn't just Jews who lived in Galilee, it was also Gentiles. It was a mixed area in terms of religion and culture. And it was seen as a morally lax area that the influence of Gentiles with their pagan religions and their pagan customs had had a bit of an impact on Jewish people. And it was seen as a morally lax place. All this to say, friends, that Jesus, as he enters the second year of his ministry, he's not rubbing shoulders with the popular, respectable, well-to-do of society. He chooses to be among very ordinary, imperfect people. And it's here in Galilee, not in Jerusalem. It was closer to Jerusalem where Jesus' ministry began, and it's described for us in John chapters 1 to 4. But we're about a year now into Jesus' ministry, and it's in Galilee that Jesus chooses some of the men who would become his closest followers. You can imagine the scene as Jesus describes it. An ordinary morning at the shoreline. Many of us have had the experience of walking along a coastline in the morning, whether it's at the County Down coast in Newcastle or whether you've been up at the North Coast, Port Rush, White Rocks or somewhere like that. You can imagine Jesus walking along the shoreline of this great body of water. It's an ordinary day, it's an ordinary place, and there are two brothers, Simon and Andrew, busy checking their equipment, counting their catch, squaring everything away after a hard night's work. <clears throat> And on this ordinary day, to these ordinary men with sunburn on their brows and calluses on their hands, the Son of God, the Messiah King, says, follow me. And with Simon and Andrew signed up, Jesus strolls on over to the next boat, to their friends, two more brothers, James and John, and says the same thing to them. Come here, you two, with me. That's literally what the language means in the original, with me, is what Jesus said to these men. They're personally called by the king. Now we need to appreciate, particularly as we think shortly about the reaction of these men, that they immediately follow Jesus. We need to appreciate that Jesus was not a total stranger to these men when he called them. Again, John's Gospel, chapters 1 to 4, uh, tells us about what had happened before these events. These men had already met Jesus during his first year of ministry. Andrew, in fact, had rushed to tell his brother Simon, John 1.41, we have found the Christ. So these men knew who Jesus was already. But this is a turning point in their lives and in their relationship with Jesus. He comes now and he personally seeks them out to begin full time following him to being by his side 24-7 for the rest of his public ministry. Suddenly the number of fish in their nets, the wages in their pockets, the plans they had for the week ahead, 
It's out the window. Suddenly their priorities have shifted. Their lives have changed because they have been personally called by the king. And you know, friends, it's exactly the same today when Jesus comes calling. When he comes perhaps to call you. It's not that you will suddenly see the Lord Jesus standing in front of you physically as these men did. But he will speak directly and personally to your soul. I don't know, maybe some of you, the story of your conversion is that you were perhaps sitting in a meeting like this or, or somewhere else or at a camp or in a group and it may as well have been like there was a megaphone blaring your name out because Jesus was so clearly, so directly, so personally calling you as you heard his word preached, as the Spirit convinced you of your need for salvation from sin. When Jesus comes calling someone to salvation, it is always personal. You can try and put him off. You can try and convince yourself that you're mistaken, that maybe it's just an emotion or you're just, you just have an overly sensitive conscience. But when the king comes calling, you cannot resist him forever. And maybe he is calling you today. Maybe he has been calling you, either you who are here in this room or you who are listening from another place. Maybe he has been calling you for quite some time already. You've heard the gospel preached. You've been left in no doubt of your sin. That you are not a perfect person. That you have lies and you have greed and you have selfishness and you have lust. And you have a list as long as your arm and longer of imperfections. That in the sight of a holy God must be punished. And you have been trying to tell yourself that you're not that bad. And it's just a few slip ups and you're a pretty good person. And it's just white lies that don't really matter, but suddenly you're convicted these things are sin. And you've heard about what Jesus has done, that he has come into the world to save sinners. And you've heard his command, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Maybe since you first heard his call and you've tried to ignore it, not to think any more about it, only to find yourself sitting maybe at work on a Tuesday morning, just staring through your computer screen because you can't stop thinking about the call of the king. Or you've tried to just sit down and enjoy a hobby or an interest. You've turned on the TV some night and you are paying no attention to what you're watching because you can't stop thinking about the call of the king. Or you've gone to bed and you've tossed and turned because the king has personally called you and he is not going to let you ignore it. Paul says to a group of Christians in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13, God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ the King, friends, still comes to personally call his followers today. Is he calling you and you've been ignoring him? Have you been putting him off? Or are you listening and obeying? Don't be thinking that Jesus isn't calling you or couldn't be calling you because you're too old or you're too young or you're not good enough or you're not bad enough or you're too bad. None of those are valid reasons. These four men that Jesus called here, they were the definition of ordinary. They were fishermen. Lots of people around that place were fishermen. 
This would be like the equivalent of Jesus going to North Antrim and calling four dairy farmers. Or going to the city of London and calling four finance workers. They were as ordinary as could be. Not particularly poor, not particularly rich, not particularly simple, but not particularly educated. Just ordinary men. Ordinary sinners like you and me. And King Jesus is in the business of personally calling sinners to be with him. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So a personal call. But secondly, this is a costly call. <clears throat> the call of Jesus is a costly call. And it's costly in at least two ways. And we'll spend a bit more time on this second point. It's a costly call, first of all, in terms of what we have to leave behind. What we have to leave behind. According to Luke's account of this story, Luke chapter 5, Jesus actually called these men to follow him, having given them a miraculous catch of fish. Boys and girls, do you remember the story? Uh, this, is, this is part of the same story Matthew tells. He just decides not to tell the, the miraculous part. But do you remember the story, boys and girls, that these men have been fishing all night and they caught nothing? And then Jesus comes along and he says to them to take the boats out again uh, to catch fish. And Peter says, Master, we've been toiling all night. We, we, our backs are breaking. Our, our hands are tired. We, we just want to go home and go to bed. It's been the worst night. And yet, Peter says, at your word, we will go out and we'll try one more time. And they have this miraculous catch of fish so that we're told that the, the nets were breaking. That's when Jesus then calls them to follow him. On the biggest payday of their lives. They'd never had as big a catch of fish in their lives before. This is bread on the table. This is fish on the table, of course, as well. But this is money in the bank for weeks to come. And notice, it's exactly when they have the best, most ordinary day of their lives that Jesus calls them. And look at their reaction, verse 20, when he calls, verse 20, immediately they follow him. And verse 22, James, James and John are just the same. Verse 22, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. These men, friends, leave their nets their boats, and their family. Three things that symbolized their security. Nothing flashy, nothing self-indulgent, just, just the things that all of us as ordinary people need to get by. A means of income, family with us who love us, and the assurance, the security of being able to go out and do an ordinary day's work. These men leave it all behind. To follow Jesus. From now on, Jesus is their number one priority. And again, the word translated here, follow me, it's even more direct and demanding in the original. It really means by my side, with me, now. And that was how it was going to be for these men for the next two years. Their lives were going to be defined by Jesus. They were no longer Simon and Andrew and James and John, the fishermen. They were Simon and Andrew and James and John, followers, disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. Where he went, they were to go. When he spoke, they listened. When he gave an order, they were to obey. Now this doesn't mean that these men never saw their families again or 
never even return to their boots again. In fact, there is an incident much later in the Gospels where they go back to their boots briefly. Uh, and they're, they're still going to be in and around Galilee, at least for a while. They're going to be in familiar surroundings with their family. They weren't leaving home completely just yet. But one day, friends, one day, they did. They would. A couple of years after Jesus called these men, Jesus died on the cross and then rose again and then ascended into heaven. And it was these men who would have to lead the church and travel around preaching the gospel and who would be persecuted for their preaching of that gospel. The call of Jesus is costly. It's costly to become a Christian. It might not mean you have to leave your house or leave your job. Depending on the circumstances, it might mean that. But it might mean that friends or hobbies or even family are left behind, not because you don't love them, but because you love Jesus more and they don't love Jesus and perhaps they want less and less to do with you because you do love Jesus. And unless you're going to behave and live and talk the way you used to, you don't get the same welcome from them that you used to get. And so it can be costly to become a Christian, but it's not just costly to become a Christian, it's costly to be a faithful Christian and to keep on going. Opportunities might pass you by. You might not get considered for promotions. You might find yourself somewhat lonely in your school or your work or even in your own home because you're following Jesus and trying to live according to what he commands. Your priorities, your spending habits, your attitude to the Lord's day, all kinds of things about your life will require costly sacrifice. Because you've been called by the king. Peter on one occasion said to Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. Perhaps we need to ask ourselves this morning, friends, is there anything in my life that I can point to and say, it's cost me because I've answered the call of King Jesus? Is there sacrifice in my life or has there been sacrifice in my life so that Jesus gets my first and foremost, that he is my top priority? Costly in terms of what we leave behind, but the call of Christ is also costly in terms of what we are called to do. In what we are called to do, look again at verse 19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. Jesus here, of course, puts the task that he's giving these men in a way that will stick in their minds, in a way that makes sense to them. These men would go out and they would fish by spreading a huge net. They didn't use hooks. They used huge big nets with lead weights and they would just throw them out over uh, the sea. And then the, the, the lead weights would take the nets down and the fish underneath would be gathered up into the net. That was how these men fished. And yet the work these men did was hard, costly work. They would have been far more comfortable on the shoreline getting into the boat, navigating the waters, rowing their way through storms, hauling in the nets, throwing them out, hauling them in again, throwing them out and hauling them in again. This was backbreaking, tiring, costly work, sometimes for very little reward. And similarly, friends, fishing for souls is often hard, 
tiring, costly work. When the name of Jesus is preached, it's like a net is being thrown over all those who listen so that they might be gathered up, caught up, that they might be brought out of that atmosphere that they're used to of swirling around in their sins, in the comfort of their sins, in the familiarity of their sins, that they would be gathered up out of the swirling water of their sins and that they would be given a new existence, new life in Christ, forgiveness and obedience and holiness. But it's hard work. It's hard for those called to make a living from this work, particularly in the time and place where we often feel like the disciples did that morning when they said, Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. The preacher pleads and prays for his preaching, but is often left wishing for a far bigger catch. But it's hard for all Christians, not just full-time preachers, because some way, sometime to be a Christian is to be a fisher of men. The Christian life has been described some way, sometimes as being, you're a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. There is some way in which, friends, as Christians, we are called to be fishers of men. And it's hard. You young parents at home with your children are to be fishers of souls, making disciples of the young souls in your home. And it's hard, costly, tiring work. Some of you are praying for and taking opportunities to fish for souls in your families with grown-up children or with siblings, and it's costing you their patience and their respect, and you're wondering whether to keep trying or whether the door is going to be shut in your face forever. It's costly for Christians in other parts of the world that are more openly hostile to the gospel than where we are. It might cost them their civic freedoms. It might cost them their limbs. It might cost them their lives to be going out fishing for souls. And so friends, the work that Christ has called us to do is costly work. To be making known our faith. To be faithful to Christ and not to the world. To live a life of holiness and how we speak and how we act, how we dress, how we think, where we go, what we do. Jesus warns us elsewhere, if we haven't counted the cost, we should. What boats or nets are you struggling to leave behind to truly follow Christ? Perhaps he might call you to full-time gospel preaching. Some of you men, we need men to do it. We need families to go and serve as missionaries in Ireland, France, maybe even England at this point other parts of Europe or around the world? Who or what would you find hardest to leave behind? Here's his promise to those who do go and count the cost and answer the call. Matthew 19, verse 29, Jesus says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. There's Jesus' encouragement to you to get on with the costly work that he's called you to do. He is no one's debtor. Whatever you have had to leave behind for him, whatever you have to sacrifice for him, he will more than make up to you in the kingdom of heaven. And so may we be like these first disciples, immediately following after our Savior when we hear his call and not looking back with longing 
for the things that we've had to leave behind. A personal call, a costly call. And finally, the encouragement in this call. The encouragement in this call. I mentioned already that the words of Jesus here, follow me, they're very direct. Here, by my side, with me, is what he's saying. And that's how students learned from teachers in that culture. Usually, uh, it was actually the student who sought out the teacher. Here, it's the teacher who comes and seeks out the students. But regardless of that, it was understood in that culture that the way that you learned was not just by sitting at a desk taking notes, but by being with the teacher, the religious teacher or whatever, the te- whatever kind of teacher it was, being with them when they prayed, being with them when they socialized, being with them when they were asked difficult questions, being with them even sometimes for part of their home life and seeing how they interacted with their family. And for the next two years, that's what these four men and the others who would join them had with Jesus. They were with him. They had a close, personal, committed relationship of teacher and disciple. The word disciple doesn't actually appear in this little passage that we're studying today, verses 18 to 22, but it is what these men are, and it appears, of course, very soon after this. If you look at uh, chapter 5, verse 1, as we... God willing, we'll come back to chapter 5 later in the year. Uh, It's important to realize about the Sermon on the Mount that it is is teaching first and foremost for Jesus' disciples. You need to understand that because there's a lot of do's and don'ts in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not a case of earning your salvation by doing or not doing those things. Jesus is teaching his followers. They are with him and they receive his instruction. That's what the word disciple means, a, a pupil, a student, an apprentice, a follower. And Jesus is calling these men to be his followers, to stick with him. And notice the encouraging promise he makes them, verse 19, if they do stick with him. Follow me, stick with me, and notice, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. It's always a good story, whether it's on the page or on the screen, when there's a master and an apprentice, boys and girls, maybe some of you heard that language used in the Star Wars movies or in other movies as well, master and apprentice, someone with lots of experience and someone who's a total rookie. You maybe get it sometimes in sports movies as well. And as the story progresses, the master trains up the apprentice and the apprentice is becoming more and more like the master and gaining in skills and gaining in knowledge and gaining in experience. More and more they apprentice is able to do the things that the master does. And that's what Jesus promises his followers, friends. He knows that it's a daunting task when he says that we are to be fishers of men, to be preaching the gospel. That's, uh, these men had already heard Jesus preaching the gospel. They've seen him. They've seen him dealing with the tricky questions They've seen him, perhaps they were there when he was baptized. They've seen him dealing with some of the conflict in Jerusalem. And they've maybe been in awe as to how Jesus has handled those things. And now Jesus says to them, I want you to do the same thing. And they're thinking to themselves, well, where do we start? How are we going to do this? How can I possibly preach or speak to people the way Jesus does? And yet there's this great encouragement from Jesus. 
I will make you. I will make you become fishers of men. They will carry out their task by sticking close to Jesus. And Christian, of course, it's the same for you and I today with whatever tasks, whatever opportunities, whatever ministries Christ has given to us. Maybe you think, well, there's not much fruit in my life. I have all these sins to battle, I have all this work to do. I'm overcome with anxiety sometimes. I feel like I'm just drifting along in my life. I wouldn't know where to start with speaking to someone about Jesus. Where we start is by sticking close to Jesus ourselves. Where we start is by paying attention to what he has said as we hear it preached, as we hear it taught, as we read it for ourselves in his word. This is a word of rebuke perhaps to the wider church in our culture today where there's always so much talk about programs and ministries and strategies for reaching out and whether we'll attract people by doing this or that. Are we sticking close to Jesus? Are we looking for him when we open up God's word or are we just looking for ourselves and five steps to better this and ten steps to doing that? Are we looking for Christ? Are we Are we sticking to him? Are we like Paul saying, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection? Are we applying what he says to our parenting, our work, our relationships? Or do we just, to use the language of Proverbs, rely on our own understanding in all those areas? When we do go fishing for souls, is it Jesus that we talk about with people? Or are we just happy to go off on tangents about politics or climate change, or whatever else it might be? Are we praying for the love and the joy and the peace and the patience of Jesus to be more and more abundant in our lives? Or are we just increasingly living and sounding and acting like everybody else? We will not catch fish. We will not catch souls if we just are filling our minds and filling our lives with all the noise and all the chat and all the attitudes of the world around us. It needs to be christ and his word, and his attitude, and his teaching that the Holy Spirit uses in us to change us and sanctify us and to make us fishers of men. Several years after Jesus called Simon and Andrew and James and John away from their boats, several years after it, they were hauled before the Jewish religious authorities in Jerusalem for doing exactly what Jesus had called them to do, preaching, fishing for souls. And the Jewish authorities told them to stop. But they replied that they couldn't and they wouldn't because the one who had told them to do it was alive and risen from the dead and king. Acts 4 verse 13 tells us of the shocked reaction of the authorities. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And listen, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. These uneducated common men in the view of the religious authorities, what did they have about them? What, what was it that was showing itself and impacting on those to whom they spoke? The fact they had been with Jesus. They had done what he commanded them to do that day on the Galilee shoreline. They had stuck with him. They had listened to him. They had learned from the master and the apprentices were becoming more and more like him. And friends, he will do the same for us. He's no no less able to make us like him than he was able to make these disciples like him. Yes, he is seated today in heaven on his throne, 
but he has given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us those who can mentor us and teach us in the faith. And he will make us become fishers of men. Is he calling you today? Calling you for the first time to repentance, to trust him, to give your life entirely over to him? Or perhaps he's already called you to salvation, but he's calling you to follow him now more closely. He's maybe saying to you, no, you, you've, you've sort of been drifting away a little bit. There's areas of your life where you haven't been concerned as to what I have to say about it. It's time to take a, it's time for growth. It's time to walk a little bit more closely. It's time to obey the calling of your king. We do so, friends, mindful that for however much we might have to sacrifice to follow him, he has sacrificed so much more to come to us. Philippians 2, Paul reminds us that for our sakes, the Lord Jesus made himself nothing. He left the comfort and glory of heaven to come down to earth. He left the praise of angels to receive the mockery of men. He left the love of his father to be forsaken by his father, to become the object of his father's anger for our sin on the cross. He did all of that so that he could call us to follow him. How are we going to respond? Jesus is calling you today, dear friend. The king is calling you today. He wants to change your life. He, wants you, he, want, he says to you today, there is something better for you to follow than that crush on social media, that footballer on TV, that game you've been playing on your phone. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. How do you respond to the call of the king today? Amen.